0: Welcome to the Agora Network Ministries podcast, Hope for the Agora, a conversation about mental health and the church. Listen in as our host, Evan Roars Dodge, shares practical, educational, and insightful information about the mental health conversation and the stigma inside the walls of the church. Our hope is that through informative interviews with leading mental health professionals and people in the field, and through the stories of healing and transformation, you will find that hope and healing can be found in body, soul, and spirit. To learn more, go to agoranetworkministries.com and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome to another episode of Hope for the Agora. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Dodge, and I am delighted that you have joined us for another conversation about mental wellness and the church. Today, I'm excited to be joined by my guest, Brett Allman. Brett, thank you for taking a a few moments out of what I'm sure is just a busy time in your life to have a conversation with me. I'm really, uh, really excited about this.
2: Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Always a good time to talk about mental health, for sure.
1: Thank you, Brett. Brett, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, and what you do?
2: Sure. Uh, My name is Brett Ullman. I live in a town called Ajax. Uh, For people who don't know where that is, I'm about 45 minutes east of the city of Toronto in Ontario. Uh, I I was a teacher. I left teaching, oh boy, 15, it might now be 16 years ago, uh, to do this full-time. I travel And I say it with an asterisk because COVID has been an interesting season, but so I kind of travel and quote unquote Zoom, but I uh, speak on issues that I think we've often just forgotten to talk about or we don't want to talk about in the church. Mm So my biggest two talks would be a talk I do on mental health. I always call it Hope for the Walking Wounded, even though it's an always changing talk. Another one called Parenting, Navigating Everything, looking at those root issues that we need to address in parenting, parenting styles, discipline, communication, time. But I also speak to men challenging us to be better fathers, husbands and boyfriends. I speak on sex, pornography, dating and media as well. But so kind of helping us connect our ancient faith uh, with our mental world.
1: Oh, thank you, Brett. Um, so, so, Brett, in some of your materials and interviews and it just our conversation, getting to know each other a little bit, you talked about 2012 as being mm. a really difficult year. You've used the term breakdown. Tell us a bit about 2012 and some of your story and your own journey uh, with mental health.
2: So I... I left teaching to speak and then I left, I did a program called the Arrow Leadership Program, which some people will know, and then went straight from there into a master's degree of evangelism and leadership at a school in Chicago called Wheaton. And it was an interesting season. I'm married with two kids. and. I, I'm still married to two kids, but uh, they were younger then. I have a daughter, Zoe, who's in university, uh, and my son, Ben, is in grade 12, uh, and my wife's name's Dawn. She's a nurse, but I, the our kids were younger, and so I'm in this intense parenting season. I'm now in, uh, doing my school in, in the U.S., and even though it's a 50, 50 0 minute flight from, me in the, from Toronto to Chicago, I'm an international student. it's expensive Mm. and so i'm now speaking not a normal speaking docket which for me is about 125 speaking dates a year i'm doing 275 to 300 which is stupid i'll just i think that's the best (laughs) way to describe it but in that moment in my life i remember saying i can pay for my flight i can pay for my books and my lodging and i can you know i i was able to pay for the stuff i needed to my friends my family, uh, were a not-for-profit, my board of directors, people began having interventions with me. Remember that show Intervention that was on mm-hmm. years ago where they sit someone down? I, I always thought I'd be the person intervening, not be the, is the term intervenee? Like people suddenly <laughs> sure. were sitting me down. So and they'd say, you have to slow down. Yeah. And I said, I will on March 1st, 2012. I felt very trapped. I didn't... <laughs> They're like, what do I do? Do I lengthen my master's out? It was like, just let's just, you know, bowl in a china shop through it. And so I pushed through and I graduated March 1st. And that was the morning I stopped sleeping. And it was too uncanny that I, you know, I started waking up at five in the morning and then four and then three. And then I began just kind of lying in bed at night. If I say feeling tingly, does that mean, you know, it's kind of this mm-hmm. weird just lying in bed. And then I began to have, and I don't even know the term, I call it weirdness. And so I was someone who spoke on mental health. I addressed self-harm, depression, those things. And I remember being at a speaking date. I was in a town called Woods. I think it was in Woodstock. And I forget it was four. There was a whole bunch of students. It was a, like a citywide event. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm six foot six. I'm a big guy. So I don't usually go on stage. I walk down on the floor for events like that. And out of nowhere my world changed and everything turned sideways. And in the back of my head, I began to wonder, how do you gracefully pass out in front of people? And then I'm like, do I go down to one knee and then fall to the ground? Like it was this weird, I could barely, like I could, my chest was pounding, my head. And I somehow got through it and I went home to my doctor and he said, oh, you have anxiety. And I said, no, no, I speak on anxiety. And he's like, no, 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 you have anxiety. And I forget if, I think he put me on something really simple, but I just, I was home for a bit and then I kind of went back to work and I was speaking in the Windsor area. I was doing 10 Catholic high schools and I found myself crying in my car on my second day of my tour. It's eight in the morning. I'm weeping and like nothing's happening. I'm, but I'm not okay. Went home, canceled the tour. Now I have sleep clinics involved and more, you know. I was very fortunate being someone in quote unquote ministry, having contacts, people began to, you should see this person, you should see that person. And then it began to be this up and down. I feel fine. I fly to the East coast, have multiple panic attacks, come home, recover. I've flying to Camrose, Alberta and having a panic attack. And literally can you picture like, you know, you're like, welcome Brett Almond, And I, I, I drive away in my car. I left in the morning. Wow. And then it all came to a head. Uh, I was speaking at a camp in, Coburg another hour from me east and coming out of a McDonald's you know when you come out of a McDonald's and they're almost the same anywhere you have to walk through the drive-through to get to your car Mm -hmm. I thought a car is hitting me and everything just became slow-mo but it wasn't a car hitting me I was falling into a parked car my equilibrium for whatever reason was shot I kind of cried out for my wife who grabbed my arm like a blind person and walked me back to my car she drove me back to the cottage I didn't leave it for a week I didn't leave my house for five months and I didn't work for a year. And there's irony in my journey in that we're now well into 2021. And I've had, I mean, the week we're, we're recording this, I've had three panic attacks. And there's some mornings I get up and I, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with today. And so it's its an interesting journey being someone who speaks on mental health and is mm-hmm. still on a ongoing journey with it as well.
1: Mm. Brett, when you were first dealing with this new reality for you, right, of of, uh, your mental health, did you turn to the church for any sort of um, help or insight or resources? And if you did, what sort of response did you get?
2: I think I did what most people do is you kind of throw every feeler out. Like, I didn't know what to do. I'm a leader. I've been, you know, I've been speaking and traveling for a decade and a half in the church world. And I just, I mean, I had, I put it out there. This is my journey. And so people began coming through my house, some church leaders, some parachurch leaders, some friends, family, and they would sit across from me on my couch. And to think of the book of Job and Job's friends, and we could Mm -hmm. debate what they were saying and different things, but I, I give them all credit in that they actually were there in front of me, they were there, but I don't know if they didn't know what to do, whether it's ignorance or that, that's just what they thought, but the answers people gave me, I mean, if you think of, are you hurting or helping? Like people would come and say, you know, well, everything happens for a reason and then they would leave and I'd be like, what? Like what reason, like, you know, I don't know if that's biblical. I don't know if it's true. I think it's actually more Islamic and determinism than it would be mm-hmm. Christian faith, but like they would leave and I would sit there and go, well, what is the reason? So in my unwellness, I'm now less well. Yeah. And people would say, have you tried Jesus? And I would say, what do you mean by that? And again, it's almost like we're giving answers like I haven't, like, so it's my fault. I haven't, when you say, have you tried Jesus? You're saying you haven't done enough spiritual stuff, reading your Bible, praying, praying, kind of like god's punishing you for that like and i'm barely surviving and these are the Mm -hmm. things and then the next person would say have you tried running and i'm like i haven't left my house in five months and they're like but but have you tried running and then it was vitamin d and it was a million roads in a million directions Mm -hmm. and for me i remember my wife said to me about five months and she said what would you do if you ever spoke again and i said um I don't think I am. Like, I I packed up my speaking. Like, if I can't leave my house, I'm never working again. And she said, What would you do if you ever did? And I remember pausing and saying, I'd like to have an answer to what do you do if you're struggling with anxiety? Like, how do we have an answer that's biblical, but practical? Like, Mm -hmm. it has to be something that's more than just have you tried, have you tried, or someone had low vitamin D and increased their vitamin D and they're better. Does that mean everyone has to just like, how do we have a, I'm very pragmatic. Like I'm an Enneagram eight. Like I, how do we mm-hmm. walk through a structure with people? And that kind of began my change in conversation on, on what we need to do and look at with mental health. Yeah.
1: Brett, thinking back to your experience um, and having church leaders, pastors, parish church leaders come in and talk to you offer prescription and uh, hmm. you know remedies and uh, advice to you looking back on that um what would have been helpful to you like if if you can even think of that um, what could someone have, said, or probably maybe even more importantly, what could they have just done, maybe just showing up and just being there um, instead of saying anything? But, you, you know, what could some church leaders and uh, and pastors have done that you think would have really been a lifeline to you at that point?
2: I often say to my wife, what I see too often is the well telling the unwell what to do. Hmm. And I don't think you have to be unwell to to help someone. Like, I don't think you have to be a porn addict to help someone who's addicted to porn. I don't think you have to be someone who's gone through a burnout or a breakdown. I think it has changed my, my empathy and changed my understanding. Um, I think I wish people wouldn't have given me cliche pat answers. Like, I have no problem when someone says, I know you've been giving a lot of different things. I know in my life when I, you know, I had an issue and I went to a sleep clinic and it was really helpful to me. Have you, have you ever tried something like that? Like that language is looking at a holistic conversation. It is kind of just saying, this is what worked for me. It's not saying, have you done or not done this? Like it's the answer. And I think what hurts so much is as a, as a Christ follower is so much of the stuff that we give is victim blaming.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Have you tried Jesus? Did you stop praying? Like, And it's like, are you telling me that because I didn't read my Bible last week, that God is like, this is the 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 end of that narrative that they're giving. Yeah. And I don't think that's the God we serve, where if you stop reading your Bible for a week, he kind of like does something to you like that. And I would have, this might sound weird, but I would have loved to have heard a lot more Genesis 3.
1: Mm.
2: We live in a fallen world. I remember once, uh, I'm one of my first times in church and we have a gym and we had a bouncy, it was like a beginning like party Sunday for whatever reason. And so there was bouncy castles and I came in, it was my first time, I think it was my first or second time in church. And I went right to the corner and I remember praying, God help no one see me, like, let me just be invisible. And one of my pastors saw me and in my head, I'm like, oh, like I don't. <laughs> and he came over and he kind of slunk down. I'm sitting on the floor. And I think he just kind of put his hand on my knee, just like tap me. sounds inappropriate. You know what I mean? Like he just kind of said, yeah, "Hey, yeah. Like, how you doing? Yeah. And he just sat for a minute. We just looked around and he looked at me and he said, this really sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. And I remember kind of just like, I was overwhelmed. It's like, yeah. And he said, well, we're praying for you. Anything we can do, let me know. And he left, and I'm like, that I like that. Like, now I I do think that we as the the church. I mean, when you look at who people tell when they struggle with mental health, family doctor and clergy. I yes. mean, that could be paid or lay people, but like, we maybe need to have an answer better than that sucks. Even though in that moment that was perfect for me, but I think we need to have holistic mental health. Like I mean, the church isn't the be-all end-all of everything in life, but do we have the pathways and the structures in place that when someone struggles, we know when it's something we can deal with and something we need to hand off to someone else?
1: Yeah. Brett, I have found in my own pastoral ministry, some of the most powerful words I can give someone. If I go to a hospital and, you know, loved ones are there with a family member who's suffered a stroke Or someone from my church gets a horrible diagnosis or, uh, you know, loses a loved one in a tragic accident. I have found that it seems to be one of the most important things I can say is, I don't know. You know, when someone says, why did this happen? What is God doing? You know, it's just to say, you know what? I don't know. But I'll show up. I'll give you a hug. I'll hold your hand. I'll tell you I love you. Um, and I don't know, there seems to be something almost liberating in acknowledging our own frailty and inability to really understand why certain things happen. Hmm. Um, and when it comes from, from people like you and I who follow Jesus, who are, are doing our best to live out our faith in our world, when we acknowledge the ambiguity in the gray areas... Um, I think that frees up other people around us and gives them permission to say, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's not because I didn't read my Bible last week. Maybe if that person who's a a leader says they don't know, then maybe it's okay to acknowledge my own doubt and to struggle and to wrestle. Um, So I I really appreciate that, Brett, and and that story of what that pastor said to you, Just, just sitting with somebody in the muck of it all and saying, just acknowledging it, I'm praying for you. Let me know if you need anything that resonates with me. And um, I think resonates with a lot of people in our churches.
2: I would say too, I think we need to make sure we don't give a different set of rules for people in the church who struggle with mental health than people who struggle mm. with physical health. Mm. Like yes. someone says to me, have, you know, have you tried Jesus? Well, would they go to a hospital in, for me, like downtown Toronto, like sick kids where Someone's just lost a child to cancer. Would they look that parent in the eye and say, have you tried? G-? Like, never, never would you ever do that. Yeah, yeah. But you say it to those of us who struggle with mental health. Right. And so the comments, I think, just need to be, it's a fair playing ground for those of us who are unwell, physical or mental, that we can journey down a pathway looking towards hope and healing and not have different answers for different things. Yeah, yeah.
0: Never in our lifetime have we lived through a global pandemic. Depression, anxiety, fear, suicide are at an all-time high. Medical facilities are overwhelmed, seniors are dying, lockdowns, and churches trying to do their best to minister to those in need. Join Agora Network Ministries May 1st for a one-day live stream experience learning from experts Kay Warren, Dr. Grant Mullen, Brett Ullman, and Amy Simpson on specific ways to persevere and find hope. Go to perseveranceconference.ca and register today.
1: Brett, how can we make our churches feel safe for those struggling with mental
2: health? Hmm. So I've been saying four things recently. I, I had it down to 10. I have a YouTube video with 10, and I've kind of brought it down to four. Number one is address it from the pulpit. Like often youth ministry will address it, and it's like pulpit down. like, And then we have to make sure that the language we're addressing is proper. There's a great book by uh, Stephen. I always say his last name wrong. Greg Vitch. The church and mental mm-hmm. health and in it he talks about how like one of the, the the biggest misunderstandings is that we think that people who love Jesus won't get unwell I'm paraphrasing it horribly but like making sure that what we're saying from the front addresses the understanding that if you are struggling with mental illness that it affects your ability to be in worship It affects your ability to worship. It affects your ability to feel close to God, to be with your family, your small group, and other things, and so address it. Um, Number two, I would say I encourage pastors and leaders to do walkthroughs and listen. So like musical worship, and I say musical worship because I I think worship is everything we do, but musical worship leaders, I just encourage people to, to watch our language. If what you say becomes a barrier to someone, then stop saying it. Mm-hmm. So stop saying everyone rise when we start musical worship. Because the moment I'm asked to rise, I cannot worship anymore because I am I stand and I'm dizzy. And so as a, I always call myself a firstborn ethical. Like if someone says stand, I will stand. But I will then lose my chance to worship. And
1: mm-hmm. what
2: about the moms who've been up breastfeeding all night? What about the person who's had a hip surgery? What about the person who's had such a hard week they barely made it to church. You can worship sitting down. And so how about a line, just whether you stand or whether you sit and even language, like, are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Like the Christianese language. What if someone's answer to that is no, are you glad to be here? What if someone's like, no, I, my anxiety is like, so let's not lead people down a negative path and it's just unnecessary barriers. Uh, even the loudness of music. I was at a church in I think it was Alberta, and they had earplugs for people if they wanted them. But this oh, one goodness. church said, If this the guy kind of joked, he says, We know we have loud music. If for whatever reason this bothers you, I forget the words he used, he said, We have like a whole bunch of couches right out. And he pointed that direction, he says, With a plasma TV with calmer music, it's the same music, just less. And he said, You're welcome to go out. And then he said, and it almost brought me to tears, he said, And when it's all done, you're welcome to just come back in. You are not disturbing us. And it was one of those moments of permission for me when someone like, I'm like, I could go to this church. Like you acknowledge that some of us have struggles and the permission of just come back in. You're not disturbing me. Um, I then would say two, number three, make sure we equip our, our leaders. Like there's great things like uh, livingworks.net and they have, you know, like the, there's even a faith one they have and assist and is like you can learn about these from a, a like a clergy even layperson standpoint but there's other things like mental health first aid and uh, things that we can do that are great and then also just equipping our people i would say maybe is the last one and I, I might be getting my numbers all wrong here but like every church has things that we do so maybe your church does celebrate recovery or freedom mm-hmm. sessions
1: mm-hmm.
2: Or maybe like, let's branch farther. AA, Al-Anon, grief care, divorce care, cancer care. Like, so I was at one church. And when I walked out, they had this, I call it like a hut. Like it was actually built. And it said something like, we care. And they had these pamphlets on these, like this thing hanging. And it was like self-harm and depression. And it was all this really great info. And then they had a book of the month And it was not a faith-based book. It was a book, a practical. like so much of this conversation is practical. Not that it's not, we're always living in a Christian worldview, but there's practical things to do. Then there was what their church offered and what local churches offered and all the contact info. And I just was like, again, I could, I could go here. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a place that I can come and be part of and know that I'm welcome. And the answers aren't going to be quick and cliche.
1: We are going to take a short break and I'll be right back with more of this conversation with Brett Ullman. I'm back with my conversation partner for today, Brett Ullman. Brett, if there's someone listening right now and they're really struggling with their mental health, what would you say to that person?
2: I'm going to put a I'm going to say put a pin in that. I hate when people say that and I just said it. Let's just put a pin in that for one second and let me I think it's really important to distinguish mental health versus mental illness. Now, we all use those terms interchangeably. Like I think a few times I've, I I might have said my struggles with mental health. You all know what I mean by that. Um so this is a podcast. So picture my hands are up and down. There's two axes. One is up and down and one is side to side. The first up and down is mental health. It is like poor on the bottom and you're doing good on top. So mental health is defined by the World Health Organization as kind of a state of well-being. It's an interesting line, but it's like resilience. We we take uh, you know pleasure in life and in work and in family and all these kinds of things. I always think of like a one of those cheap plastic balls you buy, if you push it in, it pops back out like resiliency. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about during uh pandemic, we have poor mental health. This is what we're talking about. And like, this is why if you, if it's like seasonal affective disorder affects us, but like, it was just a few weeks ago that suddenly became sunnier. We had time changes and things and suddenly we're outside and like your mental health improves a lot with that. Uh, and for us in Ontario, you know, we're in a lockdown again, our mental health is bad, like it goes down a bit. The other axis is mental illness, and these are like defined criteria. Anxiety disorders. This isn't someone just saying I'm anxious, or or you know I'm writing an exam and I'm anxious, or flying. These are these are diagnosable disorders. Anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar, and the list goes on. And so I think it's good to to delineate between the two of them because you like I have diagnosable mental illnesses anxiety disorder panic disorder depressive disorder I've been diagnosed with PTSD I have those but while I have that I can still have good mental health or poor mental health and I think it's just it takes a second to think through that but I think it's important to acknowledge because if the answer is just someone has some poor mental health you're a bit blah your answer might be different to someone if they have a diagnosed anxiety disorder Mm -hmm. so anyways going back what would you do so if someone's listening I always just say I love structure so here's the thing if we're on a zoom call right now I couldn't just go okay top row you three you know third row down you two like I can't look at you and say what you're journeying with so I think proper assessment is really important and so I like the idea of body and mind and soul and so And it's been like, that's the mandate of every church I've ever attended, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of our people. But your issue might be physical. So go see a family doctor. If your issue is sleep-based, go to a sleep clinic, exercise daily, you know, eat better, sleep more. Like, you know, if your issue is sleeping, let's get you sleeping. And I, I think sleep is one of those foundations that we need to address. But there's these physical analogies, and the Bible's filled with them. Then there's this emotional conversation, we need to sit down with a, and this is where we also, language is really important. Um, I think people often go to someone who would be better quoted as a, or better called a spiritual formation person, which is good. But if you're dealing with anxiety, I want someone who's going to help me with strategies on dealing with my anxiety. How do how can I be better? Like for me, if I was physically speaking, uh, uh, you know, at a conference or at a church, I, I speak in a big old wing back chair because when I like even doing this, I'm dizzy, but I'm in a chair and I can mm-hmm. put my hands to the side and not fall over. So you get tips and tricks, how to, how to think through this. Right. And then there's other things like if your issue is trauma, how do we walk through trauma therapy if your issue is, so this is looking at what is the issue and that kind of drives what our answer is. Now, I say it might be physical, it might be emotional. I actually don't say, and this this is something we have good debates on, I don't say it might be spiritual because it's really rare that the answer to mental illness is spiritually based, but the the Bible says you will have trouble, but God says I'll be with you in that trouble, which is Mm. like the cornerstone of my journey is my faith, which is why we build into our faith, which is why we tell our pastors and leaders so they know and can help us in that journey. And that's why I love sermons that talk about how God is with us in these journeys and other things like that. But I love the body, mind, and soul analogy. And we and the truth is everyone has little different takes on it. It could be body, mind, soul, spirit. Some people are body, mind, soul, relationships. But the point is, no matter what, it's how do we get proper assessment Because your journey, and I also say I'm an and, I'm not an or person, it's Mm -hmm. probably not going to be, I mean, it, it might, if your issue is bad sleep and you have sleep apnea, maybe a CPAP machine is all you need, like it could be as simple as that. But for many of us, it's a mix of sleep and diet and exercise and counseling with a registered counselor and Jesus and spiritual disciplines, like it's it's and, it's not or.
1: Yeah, that's great, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Brett, a lot of the work that you do is focused on families. Uh, as, you, as you mentioned, we were talking before the podcast that that seems to be a lot of your work now is is families, parents mm-hmm. uh, and children. So in light of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. um which is just on my mind as a parent with young kids who are in school. I know you have uh, a couple of kids who are one in university, right? And one in, yeah. in high school. What are some best practices right now for family
2: mental health? Oh, so we can go another hour and a half, is what you said. That's about how much. Yeah. We'll do the podcast
1: in eight parts.
2: <laughs> I think we need to look. As the church, I think we also left to look at prevention. Like before, and this is in all areas, before marriages disintegrate, how do we create rich marriages? Like, you know, before someone's addicted to drugs or porn, how do we have good, healthy sexuality conversations? Mm-hmm. But it's the same with mental health. How do we create good emotional intelligence with kids? How do we start that in children's ministries? How do we, uh, you know, so if you look at a couple of the big things that we can prevent, so they say statistically, the more time you spend on your phone, and they say statistically around three hours, the greater chance you have of depression. Now, we have to read statistics, because it doesn't just mean the moment you have three hours, you have depression. And then the question is, which is the chicken, which is the egg? Does someone who struggle with depression spend more time online? Are they escaping and other things? how do we teach kids how to spend less time online right it's teaching not telling how do we equip them and help them understand it's okay to have your phone away from you for a bit and not answer. Uh, and maybe another thing would be over parenting, because the more we over function, the more kids under function and we're seeing a lot of kids heading off to college university apprenticeships workplace after high school. And if mom or dad or whoever they live with aren't there, they can't function because their parents have over-functioned for them. So I think there are things we need to look at as parents and equip and parents better. Um, But from the answer of during the pandemic, uh, I actually have 20 videos on YouTube, um, how to have good mental health during COVID. And depending where you're at, I mean, Canadian American, depending where you're at, even in Ontario here where I'm at, it's different. And so, I mean, some of them we've already talked about exercise, sleep, diet, but some of it's like less news. And there's a term I posted recently called doom scrolling. Like we seem to just love being online and whatever reason Christians love to kind of post the negative news ongoing. It's like, we need to just stop. Like I watch the news once a day. And then even sometimes if it's all negative, I'll just turn it off. I wish the news said a positive thing, each news cycle. Let's talk about, I was gonna say how good vaccines and they're coming and that opens up another debate. But you know what I mean? Like, let's have a a positive conversation. But we need to, I would encourage parents with younger kids to do check-ins. Actually with all kids to do check-ins, but with younger kids, you can do an emoji check-in. If you Google emoji check-in, you get all those emojis and a kid, especially a young boy, if you ask, how are you doing, is more likely to be able to point at a picture than maybe express their feelings. I think it's just a really simple thing. But family dinners, family nights, walks, like, I mean, go for every night after dinner, go for a walk, anything you can get to have more conversation. And this is my parenting, navigating everything, Talk: how do we build these rich relationships, this attachment parenting conversation, so that our kids kind of go from that to then to where they work at McDonald's, school, church, and other sports and things. But so to me, it's creating that home base, lots of good conversations, lots of family dinners. And I've said that twice, which I think it's really important, but um, checking in and checking in and checking in because there are signs of mental health issues. Like it could be a sleep issue or eating changes, uh, you know, sleeping changes or how we eat, but that also could just be because we're home more. My son goes to bed at 1.30 in the morning and gets up at 11. And you know what? That's okay. He's 17. That's normal circadian rhythm. Could it be an issue? Maybe. Is it? I don't know. So this is where we we really check in with people, you know, if you and I are hanging out one night for a walk and I say, hey, how are you? And you're like, good. I'm like, how are you really? How are things really? Like, it's funny that second time you ask people, people would go, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm really struggling. Like even today, we began chatting and I was saying, you know, I have Lyme disease. I've had a bad week. Like there's something about community and conversation, but it it means being open and vulnerable. But this is from a family perspective be open about these conversations and talk about these things and i think building resiliency i think our kids are really resilient and i would just say let's not talk all day long in our house about how negative everything is whether you're pro or anti we're so polarized like kids are listening to these debates and how about have those with adults if you want them but give our kids a great environment that they can find success during this time so i have these 20 videos you can find them all but they're just little ideas that you can use to have good mental health during this season.
1: Thank you, Brett. We will include those in the show notes for this episode. Awesome. So listeners can, can access those easily. You're one of the keynote speakers for the Perseverance conference coming up on May 1st, uh, share a bit, if you would, Brett about what you'll be speaking on at that conference and, um, you know, what you hope that those who attend this virtual conference might take away from that.
2: This conference is an interesting one for me because I'm usually, like usually a conference has one, like it's a bunch of topics or there's one speaker, but I'm humbled to be with the three people I'm with. So like Kay Warren and her husband Rick would never know the role that they've played in my journey. And not just since, I mean, they had the loss of their son a number of years ago, but like the mental health stuff that Saddleback has done has been refreshing to someone who goes through this journey. Uh, Amy Simpson and wrote her book, uh, Troubled Mind. Troubled Mind, I might be saying it wrong, but like that was one of those books that I read during my mental health journey and didn't wanna hurl across the room. <laughs> and then Dr. Grant Mullen is someone who I actually Skyped a few times because I was lost in my journey and I just needed someone to give me, I just needed someone to say, you're okay, you're on the right path. And so it's just really, It's really cool for me to be part of that. Um, I'm going to be sharing kind of this Hope for the Walking Wounded talk, which I do, which is a little bit of what we chatted about today, looking at how we can find a practical answer and and looking at how we move forward. And so what I, I always say is like our faith and conversations like on mental health are built in moments. And I think this conference will be one of those moments where you can pull a little bit of something from each speaker to build our thoughts and our kind of journeys with mental health.
1: Thank you, Brett. For a final question, and then we'll let listeners know how they can connect with you online through social media and uh, your book, um, if they'd like to purchase that. Yeah. Give us a final parting word. What is one takeaway or one gift to believers in Jesus? who are trying to wrestle with and, and move toward mental wellness. What's one takeaway you've given us so much in this podcast so that I know there's lots of takeaways, at least for me. And I know for our listeners, but maybe leave us with one thing that you would like our listeners to know.
2: I'm going to, hopefully you don't get a cease and desist from home Depot, but I love the home Depot slogan. You can do it. We can help because i think that's like you can do it like we can do hard things and there are um there are days that are tough and do what we need to do like you know do those tough things and then you know have good care but then use the people around you like make sure you're not journeying this alone if you're the one struggling make sure there's other people around you helping you and use those teams of i'm a big fan of what's called functional medicine so i have Doctors, medical doctors, and naturopathic doctors, and massage therapists, and osteopath—like I have all of these people who are around me as my team, and my counselor, and things—and they, they are to me. You know, I can do it, but they can help, and they're they're helping me in this journey. So I really love, I love that analogy, and I think it gives us. Um, I don't know I just find it's hopeful, and it's something that we can all do.
1: Brett, how can listeners connect with you on social media? and where could they purchase your book
2: sure Uh, my website is just my name brettalmond.com and that will be in the show notes um from that and i'm not a blogger i'm a curator i say i think i have a thousand articles blogs youtube clips and so if you click on blog and mental health you will see everything i've done in the past five years the same with parenting or other things Uh, At the very top of my site is my social media. You'll find my YouTube channel. I have about 200 videos on YouTube where I answer questions that parents have asked me on all the different topics. Uh, And then my other social as well, Facebook, Twitter, all those things. Uh, And my newest book, uh, this is my fifth book. Now, I do have a book called Reset, which is it's a dollar on Amazon, but it's free on my website. If they just search it, it's actually my breakdown put in book form which which sounds a little weird but it's someone said to me i've never heard a christian's perspective on a breakdown now wayne cordero wrote his book leading on empty and i remember reading that but other than that i didn't really have anything and so it was uh i wrote mine and then uh some people might know the name carrie newhoff he wrote his journey and then 18 other friends and family wrote theirs but my newest book was a three-year journey It is called Parenting, Navigating Everything. It's 226,000 words. So it's about four to five books in one. The first six chapters are literally on parenting, parenting styles, communication, time, discipline. But the last 10 chapters and the biggest one being mental health are on those things we need to address in life. And they're written for anyone. Parenting, you know, finances, loneliness, media, family discipleship. But you can find that off my website and you can find it on Amazon, both in Canada and the US as well.
1: Thank you, Brett. This has been a a real pleasure to talk to you, to have you. you on our podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thanks so much, appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you found it helpful and informative we are always open to your comments and suggestions. You can contact us at info at AgoraNetworkMinistries.com. You can also go to our website for resources, information, and upcoming events. Just head over to AgoraNetworkMinistries.com. If you would like to support the work of Agora Network Ministries, including this podcast, you can find a link on our site. We appreciate your support. We pray that your week is blessed. Bye for now.